Hey guys, welcome back to the show. In today's episode, I've got my main man, Luke Starr from Starr Strength, uh, Strength and Performance back in the house. Uh, Luke is a good friend of mine. Uh, we met each other a while back. Uh, we were just bouncing ideas off each other in regards to strength and conditioning and stuff like that. He is a CrossFit coach and he uh, teaches and trains and deals with uh, some of uh, the country's highest level CrossFit athletes. So he brings a very uh, evidence-based approach to his training. He's a, he's a legit guy in terms of strength and conditioning and bring the, bringing that kind of an approach and that kind of a mindset uh, to the game. Uh, we dealt with we we talked about how he dealt with his injuries because uh, he, had a, he had a bad run this year. He dislocated his elbow at a at a competition at a CrossFit competition, and then uh, after that healed, he got back into training. And not long after, he um, ruptured his Achilles tendon. So he talks about that. He talks about how to deal with injuries, the mindset that's required, and how to actually come back from injuries. Very, very interesting, very important topic that applies to basically all of us uh, at some point or another. We talked a little bit about um, uh, Greg Glassman's uh, comment on Twitter. He's, of course, the former CEO of uh, CrossFit and why some CrossFit owners have uh, started to rebrand and move away from the CrossFit name and his thoughts on that. He talked about a little bit about what he learned from powerlifting that he applied to, to CrossFit. And uh, as far as training, we talked about some recovery techniques, importance of sleep, and um, the influence of strength and endurance the training and how they can sometimes overlap and uh, cross over. Anyway, I'll let him do the rest of the talking. I hope you guys enjoy. Mr. Star, welcome to uh, the Amir Fazeli podcast, mate. How are you? Thanks, mate. Pleasure. Great to be here. I'm well, very well. Yeah. How are you? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Keeping busy, and uh, uh, yeah, like I was, uh, like I was saying before. Uh, every time I I don't see you for a while, you tend to um, destroy a part of your body, pretty much <laughs> uh, semi permanently. So, first time I didn't see you, you uh, for a while, you came back with a nice dislocated elbow. And then, uh, yeah. then again, the second time, uh, shortly after that, you, you managed to back it up with a torn Achilles. Uh, you reckon you get a hat trick for us, maybe a third one. Oh, man. Uh, Don't say that. Was... Do not say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's That's been terrible, like, man. Oh, man. It's been rough. It's been like I was thinking about it because I knew you were going to ask me about it today. Um, and this is like just this run, these two sort of catastrophic injuries within the past, uh, what was it, November, it's within a, within a year, within like a nine-month period. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's rough. yeah, 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 and it's been, it's been rough. Obviously, uh, there's probably some things we can get into and talk about from like things that I've taken from it. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, and, that, you know, obviously um, you've got to look at the positives. Well, what you, what, speaking of which, uh, l let's get right into that because that's that's actually one, something I wanted to ask you uh, mm. because in, injuries are um, uh, you know such a it's part and parcel of of any kind of uh, training right so uh, with powerlifting with uh, cer certainly with CrossFit with weightlifting you know with any sport anything that you do uh, you're going to get 
at the very least, some sort of either a niggle or at some point a pretty bad injury. You know, uh, like with with powerlifters, it's not uncommon, you know, to see videos popping up all over the internet of of people collapsing uh, under the squat when they just walk it out. They're not even squatting, and um, uh, you know, with uh, with CrossFit, with, with anything that you're just requiring uh, the next level of performance from your body, you, you're pushing yourself. You know, you're not just doing some kind of recreational activity where you're just walking on the treadmill or at the gym while watching TV, you know. So, um, That's right. and it's something that, that really throws people off. You know, when they get injured, a lot of people, they're like, oh, man, fuck this. I don't want to train anymore. This is not for me, blah, 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 you know. Um, uh, what you know what was the thought process when it happened like the first of first of all tell us how it happened how the in- elbow injury happened let let yeah. everybody know and then tell us how the achilles injury happened and yeah. then tell us like what ran through your mind and then and then uh, where you're at now with it and how did you sort of come back because uh, that's really that's really valuable insight for people out there who um do get injured and you know everybody listening to this has either been injured at some point or is going to get injured if they continue to push their body and that's not a bad thing necessarily that's just part of what you do right so yeah, yeah. tell us how did it all happen yeah yeah that's right i mean every every sport has its injury rates and uh that are common within that sport and if you're challenging the body you know they do they do happen like you said um uh my so these two injuries, the first one, the elbow dislocation was during a snatch and that was at a CrossFit competition called the Torian Pro up in Brisbane November last year uh, and it was a, uh, a snatch speed ladder. So there were five barbells lined up uh, ranging from 95 to 105 kilos and uh, it was a two-minute event, a two-minute capped event and you had to snatch all five as quickly as you can, like one after the other. Um, and it was a pairs event, so I, was, I, had a, I had a teammate who was going with me through the through the ladder, uh, and we got to the last barbell, and um, that's where I dislocated my. I went to stand the snatch up, and it, uh, my right arm just didn't uh, want to do it. It had <laughs> like I went to go stand the weight up, and the right arm gave way. Uh, so that's that was that one, um, and then the other one was the Achilles, which was during a game of touch footy. It was the first game of touch footy season. And um, it had, it was basically, you know, looking back, I can kind of, you know, you're looking back at these things and you realize, yeah, if I'd done this and that, I, I would have avoided, avoided this or could have potentially avoided it. Um, and yeah, it was just the first game of the season. I hadn't done a whole lot of touch footy uh, or any much running at all for that six months leading in because I've been working on my powerlifting with you and I had just finished, literally just, you know, maxed out my 1RMs and things the week before. Um, but the, to, you know, to let you know what went through my head, uh, I'd like to talk about each of these injuries in a bit more detail. But but to let you to let you know, like you asked me what went through my head, you know, if the first thing is the sort of the pain and the shock of it, um, and actually quite quickly after that, in the moment, I actually felt like shame as well as a, and I think that comes from being a coach, and you know, you're having a responsibility to educate people and help people from avoiding having these kind of injuries and, and that kind of thing. And uh, that was something that probably affected me more, uh, I wouldn't say more, but pretty seriously in both cases of the injuries, uh, which is interesting, I thought, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and I mean, uh, it just goes to show nobody's pr- uh, prone, pr- um, uh, not prone to, uh, to mm. things like that. You know, you you uh, and and it's precisely because you're a coach and you do lead by example in the sense that you do get involved in in sports and at a good level. You know, and so your body is just like you know you you built just like uh, the rest of. It. I mean, you're also human, so um, you expose yourself to those risks as well, and. Um, the, so, uh, I understand what you're saying, yeah, but uh, in fact, you you are all, all that much a better coach because uh, you you do sort of lead from the front and and do practice what you preach in terms of getting involved in sports and, and requiring performance from from your body. So some things you just can't control, man. Yeah, yeah. Shit yeah. happens. But the Achilles must have must have absolutely fucking killed, man. Apparently, yeah. that's the worst one of all of them. Yeah. Well, you know. It's funny because I, um, I actually didn't have a whole lot of pain with my Achilles. I had a lot of pain with the elbow. The elbow was quite bad. Yeah. Uh, the elbow was like off to the, you know, in the ambulance, off to the hospital. And, um, you know, until they put that elbow back in, they had to sedate me to put it back in a couple of hours later. But until they had done that, I was in a, a lot of pain. Um, but the Achilles, I... For some reason, maybe because of the like the spot in my Achilles where it ruptured, maybe maybe there wasn't as much nerve nerve you know innovation there. Yeah. Uh, but I was able to sort of walk off and talk. It was painful, but I um, I was more thinking about the process and the fact that I, I I had a feeling that that's what I'd done, and I was just a, a bit filthy yeah. at myself and wanted to get out of there and get get the process of sorting it out. Um, so I was actually able to walk walk away, and I didn't need a whole lot of painkillers for that one. Um, but I have. I know that in other situations, people have been quite painful with the Achilles. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you hear it? Because a lot of times you can hear it. I, I think I, I think I did. Yeah, and I definitely felt like someone had whacked the back of my leg or something, you know. But then I turned around; it wasn't really anyone there. Um, and you know, I knew I hadn't rolled it, but then I sort of my mind connected the, 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 the whack with the fact that I reached down and couldn't feel. There was like a, a gap <laughs> at the back there, uh, yeah. and then I, and then I connect, <laughs> yeah. connected the dots and realised that might have been what's happened. So, yeah, uh, it wasn't nice. Jesus, man. Yeah. No. But, but you know, the, the, uh, the, day that I, the day that I did that Achilles, like I was saying, I, like I hadn't done – I've played touch footy and rugby sort of my whole life. Um, I haven't had many – I've had injuries with rugby, um, but – I haven't had many lower body injuries, uh, but I do think that part of this was because um, a combination of not having done much of that kind of stuff for about six month period, which is probably the least I've done of that kind of stuff in my life. Normally I've always had it going in the background of whatever other training I'm doing, a bit of touch footy and stuff like that, a bit of running. And then the other thing is I think my upper legs, so my, you know, all the, all the legs that were all of my upper, you know, muscle groups in my legs like the quads and glutes and all that stuff were quite strong from all the deadlifting and squatting and everything that I've been doing in my in my strength training so I think I had a situation where the lower the lower body was underprepared for that type of running and change of direction and that kind of thing but the upper body was one of the strongest it's been ever (laughs) so Mm. um, this is just me this is me looking back and look and analyzing it you know you can always hindsight's always 2020 um, I had this conversation. I brought this up with the surgeon after the um, he operated on it, or maybe before. 
and sort of explained that this was my theory and he he said it maybe but you know it's also like I'm 37 years old but the really really high incidence of Achilles tendons uh, between the age of 35 and 40 he was saying very 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 high so uh, it could just be that <laughs> yeah I mean um, I think it's a bit maybe a bit of both especially with um, touch footy it's, it's much more um, uh, much more direction changing, obviously, because it's it's more, um, uh, you know, skills based, skills related uh, in regards to finding positions, creating gaps, and stuff like that. Mm. So, um, in my experience, like with um, something similar to Touchwood, Ostag, yeah, um, knees, knees go all the time, ACLs all the time. Um, with a lot of a lot of the guys who used to come through Adonis Athletics, um, they used to at the Granville location. They used to play ice tag, and so many of them. Like I would never, I, I hadn't, I've never seen so many um, knee problems, especially ACL uh, tears from any sport, uh, and just ridiculous amounts. Mm. It shouldn't be that much. Mm. And just the constant direction changing because it's the demand of the sport. But, yeah, you're right. You know, it's probably a combination of not having done it uh, for a while and then just sort of jumping back into it. Uh, so, you know, that, uh, that leads us to um, an important question. What, with this experience of the injuries, and I know you wanted to talk about them individually, so go ahead. Uh, but tell us, what did it teach you? A lot, actually. I've been. I was thinking. I, I want. I want to actually write this down at some point and do some kind of post about it. Uh, every injury teaches you a lot. Um, one of the big things it teaches you is appreciation for what you, you know, what you can't do when you're injured. <laughs> and then, as 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 you get slowly through the rehab process, able to do more and more things, you become excited to be able to do the things that you. May may have lacked motivation to do in the past, you know. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to doing being able to do a burpee. You know, I've never been much for I've never been much for the assault bike, not much into the into that. But you know, I'm I'm excited to be now doing the assault bike, doing rowing, things like that, which I was having yeah. a bit of a break from for a while doing the powerlifting and was a bit over the the conditioning stuff for a while, and now I'm excited to do it again. You know, so that's one thing. Uh, yeah, another thing's patience. You, you, when when you're on crutches or your arms in a brace, you have have to really reduce the amount of things you expect to get done in a day and how long they're going to take you. Mm. You times them by about th- yeah. in the early stages, you multiply everything by about three. It's going to take you about three times as long just to get dressed in the morning, get your breakfast, like all that kind of stuff. Mm. So, so productivity goes down. And you just need to manage your head around that, especially if you're kind of impatient person or a busy person. Um, you get you get good at letting people help you with things as well. You know, at first you're a bit frustrated with it, and, and you don't really want to, especially if you yeah you don't like you know if you like being independent and not relying on people. Um, but soon you you learn to learn to allow that because people want to help you, and it actually is it's actually quite a nice process when people do start helping you and you let them mm. do it and, you know, um, that's good as well. But, yes, there's some of the, some of the yeah, key ones. I, I could actually go on for ages with, like, some of these lessons, but um, there's some of the main ones. Yeah, keep going. Mm. I mean, if, the, if, if any, any major ones. How did you, how did you um, uh, what was the process in, in, in actually um, coming back? Because, like, at the moment, right now, can you 
um, can you like, for example, do bodyweight squats? Can you do loaded squats? Can you do burpees? What can you do? What can't you do? Yeah, I'm, t- I'm 10 weeks. I think this is week 11. Uh, I Today, I started doing some air squats, just bodyweight squats with a heel raise, like on a slanted um, surface mm-hmm. at the gym. That's the, mm-hmm. first, that's the first time I've done that. I just did a few sets of, a couple sets of 20. Um, nice, yeah. And, and that was fine. That was good because it didn't, let me go into too much dorsiflexion, which I've got to still stay out of. I don't have full mm-hmm. ankle dorsiflexion. That, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't got like a, you know, if people know like a need a wall test, I, I'm, I'm about one centimeter off touching the wall on my injured side at the moment. Um, and I want to get, I need to get back to about like eight or 10 centimeters, which is what it was before uh, hmm. with your foot away from the wall. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing in my lower body. Some, like, I can do hip thrusts. And I can do start to do some patterning for deadlifts and squats, but with no loading and reduced range of motion kind of stuff. Uh, and then I've been fine for the past few weeks to do things like bike, you know, cyclical movements like cycling, stationary cycling, ski erg and rowing. Yeah. And uh, that's been happening in a few times a week in my programming, yeah. And then heaps of upper body. Any uh, – yeah, upper body is upper bodies good to <laughs> so just uh, – just get thick and juicy in the I've, upper body. I've been skipping leg day uh, and uh, working on the upper body, which is not a bad thing for me because that's always been a weak area. <laughs> you, you got uh, plans to return to a CrossFit competition? Yeah, uh, look, I I probably will like play around with some social CrossFit comps, but only. And, but I will have to probably step out of any events, you know, because normally CrossFit comps might have a number of uh, workouts, events within them. I won't, I won't be doing any full snatches or, and I won't be doing anything like double unders or, or box jumps or anything for quite a while and maybe maybe not at all in competition or anything like that, you know. So I'm still, um, mm. you know, still, still uh, hopeful that I can – I should be able to do those movements at some point if I want to, at some point in the future. But to the degree of like risk and reward and whether I want to do them in competition is another yeah. question, you know. Um, but I, you know, if I want to jump into a competition and just sit those events out and just have fun with this stuff I can do safely, then I can see myself doing that because I do get a buzz out of that and enjoy it. How has it been uh, coaching during this whole time? Because uh, obviously you take care of um, uh, some high-level crossroad athletes, serious ones, and uh, did it affect the coaching much? Because I work um, mainly online with my guys, uh, I've been fortunate in that way because I haven't, you know, there were six weeks there when I couldn't drive and that kind of thing. So uh, it hasn't affected me too much, although I do, when I'm able-bodied, I do like to get around and do training with my clients wherever they might be at various different gyms and things like that. So it's limited me in that way. Uh, but yeah. I've been probably more limited by um, – right. well, my, my athletes have been more limited by COVID and, and the lack of competitions more so than anything to do with my injuries kind of thing. Uh, are competitions um, returning? Have they returned already uh, since after the lockdown or what are they looking like? Uh, base not, uh, hardly any in-person competitions. Uh, all the major ones have been postponed or cancelled, but online competitions have been starting to uh, happen more and more. 
of we're seeing and we are we are now seeing um like some face-to-face competitions like in-person competitions starting to surface now up in queensland and, and around the place here and there yeah uh man what what's um what can you tell us about uh, what happened with um uh glassman's uh, comments and and you know what's happened with crossfit now since then and yeah and like where is it heading where was it was it something that you know kind of like a blessing disguise in the sense that it needed to bring about the change like this the changes maybe it should have been happened from long time ago yeah and now this kind of uh, was the straw that broke the camel's back yeah uh what happened there it was like a lot of outrage there yeah so greg glassman the ceo of crossfit and the founder of crossfit from back in the early days he made a uh basically a in um inconsiderate and racist depending on on you know who you speak to and their opinion of it uh remark on twitter during the um uh you know um the black lives matter um and uh floyd you know incident and that caused a big uh, a lot of controversy within crossfit and a lot of athlete uh sorry affiliates crossfit affiliates de-affiliating and not wanting to be mm. associated with the CrossFit brand. Um, he, not long after, stepped down as CEO, and then not long after that he sold uh, CrossFit because he was the sole owner of CrossFit, uh, and now he's sold it mm. to another guy who's taken over and, and is making some changes within within CrossFit. And um, He's only been in there a couple of, well, I don't know how long it's been now, maybe a couple of months. And he is, um, you know, it's been it's been pretty pretty positive from what I can see, and I can I can go into a bit of detail on that as well, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what what kind of changes did it bring? How's it going to be different now moving forward? Um, some of the things, one of the big things, and this is sort of relates to what I do, since I work with mainly the sport, like the competitive sport of CrossFit, rather than just the the like um, general population kind of. Um, affiliate gym setup. Um, one of the things that he is placing more value on, which Glassman was moving away from, is the uh, promotion of it as a sport as well as a trading methodology. Uh, Glassman seemed to be downplaying the sporting aspect of it and not promoting it as heavily as he what he was mainly interested, which was uh, CrossFit used as a training methodology to promote public health and get people, um, you know, healthy and well uh, at a grassroots level. And he was on a big campaign around that. Um, so he, he was con- – I, I think he was concerned that the sport of CrossFit was overtaking the identity of CrossFit and people were associating it with really hardcore training and what you see at the CrossFit Games. Um, and there w- that's true to a degree, um, but my personal philosophy on this is that I think you, you want both and I think the sport – within CrossFit, it does inspire people to do better and, and, and achieve things within it. Um, but there still needs to be a distinction made between competitive CrossFit and CrossFit as a, as a way to stay fit and healthy for general pop. Um, anyway, the, the new CEO is, um, seems to be giving the CrossFit games and the sport of it more attention and more promotion, um, while also trying to mend and um, some of the, you know, 
issues that were caused with Glassman in his, you know, in that in that final incident before he had to step down. Um, yeah. And uh, so far, uh, how do you think uh, uh, you're going? No, I'm just saying. So, I mean, so far, in in my opinion, it, it seems like things are heading in a positive direction, and I'm feeling is good it, about is it. Is it yeah. heading in the right direction? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, uh, like on that note, uh, how how has the landscape of CrossFit changed from when it first started uh, to you know five years ago to a couple of years ago, and and then now, and then and then what do you see that it's going to be like coming like going forward in the next uh, two to three years uh, in terms of, you know, what they're focused on, their, their ideology, their approach to training and training methodology, the messages that they would, uh, that would be about, uh, or maybe there hasn't been much of a change until now. Um, has it, hasn't it? I think the core methodology and what is taught in like the level one certifications, level two certifications, um, won't probably won't change a great deal. Like I think if it's applied properly and 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 safely and and still with principles of you know good good training practices, general training practices, I think uh, it's it's the methodology is good. Um, what what's happened over time is initially like early days of when there was a big uh, increase in participation and numbers of gyms kind of around probably like 2012, between 2011, 2013 in there, you had a a lot of people learning how to like do a lot of these movements for the first time, a lot of coaches out there teaching these movements for the the first time, things like the Olympic lifts and, um, you know, squatting, deadlifting. It was a big uptake of it. And with that was, was you saw like a, lot more people training like functional training kind of thing you know around that time so it's a big uptake but there was also a big learning curve that all these people went through um and i think what we've seen now is that that peak and growth uh and and sort of maturation point of how, how that's growing this is i'm talking about in more like the australian and american markets uh in, in like places like asia and Europe, uh, they're probably a couple of years behind in terms of where they are on that growth cycle for things like CrossFit. Um, so a big learning curve. And then uh, I think there's probably been a slight decrease in the number of affiliates in Australia probably in the past five years. Um, and some have stuck around and, you know, ones that operate well and build good communities and look after their members well, you know, where are staying strong and continuing to continue and then uh, others have dropped off a little bit um and then in more recent years i'm just talking like in within like the fitness industry fitness market kind of thing we've seen things like f45 and other variations of um you know in t- uh, high intensity training functional training uh group training that those kind of things uh, emerging and and, diff- and evolving in different ways, and some CrossFit gyms uh, deaffiliating and changing their names and branding, um, partially due to uh, you know some of a stigma sometimes around injury rates and um, and that kind of thing, and, and partially just due to like how hardcore it may be perceived as well uh, by by outsiders who don't haven't done CrossFit before. And so, you know, there's been a bit of that kind of change more recently. 
Uh, and I feel like uh, the CrossFit gyms that are around now are getting, continuing to get better at their training practices and understanding what they do differently to some of these other places and being able to like articulate that and, and figure that out as well. Because it can be tricky as a, you know, CrossFit is a, a real generalist kind of training methodology. So there's, there's the spirit of wanting to be good at multiple different things. And the part, you know, whether it's, you know, for example, like strength and cardiovascular fitness and you know, maybe gymnastics or something like that, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and every CrossFit gym you go to, it's not a, um, it's not a uh, cookie cutter kind of, kind of model. It's, each, each gym is allowed to put their philosophy, their training methods in within the CrossFit model, but there's a lot of freedom for the gym owner to do things how they want to do it. And because of that, you get a fair bit of diversity across the different gyms. And because of that, you get sometimes, um, you know, some gyms it's not completely clear what kind of uh, fitness that they they want to, to you know, they, what I'm trying to get at is some of these gyms are, and as a community, independently these gyms are getting better at defining what they're trying to do for their members. And then as a community, yeah. we're all, you know, moving forward in, in finding best practices and how, how to do this. Basically, I don't know if I made a lot yeah, of sense there. Uh, I'm jumping around. No, no that, that makes sense uh, because uh, I, I have noticed uh, quite a few uh, CrossFit facilities just completely uh, renaming, rebranding. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They, for example, take t- take the word CrossFit out of their uh, out of their name now and and make it you know something strength and conditioning or something fitness. You know, um, and uh, yeah, I was I. It was, it was interesting to know, you know, what the reasoning behind that is. Uh, you said, you know, like they they want to dis, dis, disassociate themselves a little bit from that overly hardcore sort of image yep. uh, of of cross. And I assume that's because so that so that they can try and get more of the general demographics in there because uh, to to try and attract new clientele and stuff like that. And um, that's interesting to me because um, me as as the owner of Adonis Athletics, I actually try and always do the opposite. Uh, mm. I um, I am fine and in fact happy with the fact that it's associated with the more hardcore level of of training and a, a, the place to be in in that regards. You know, mm. like it's a place for people who who want to. Um, who don't want to just walk on a treadmill and not that there's anything wrong with it. That's just a de- different demographics. You know, people, uh, some people just want to be active, you know, yes. whereas people who come to us, they don't just want to be active. They want to, they're pursuing something to a particular degree. <clears throat> and, uh, um, you know, it, it's just, it's just interesting that, uh, uh, to see the, um, to see it from the other side, to see somebody, a group of people basically like sort of rebranding to try and uh, hit that. Now I can understand from a business business perspective, if, if you are like way too niche and uh, too specialized, sometimes it's not a good thing because as a, as far as a business is concerned, you can't make a living because yes. uh, there might not be enough of a demand in the market for a particular thing that you are uh, really good at. 
That's right. And so, uh, you know, a niche is a great thing, uh, but sometimes it can go too far with certain markets because it depends on supply and on demand, right? On supply and That's demand. That's right. And um, so that makes total sense in in some regards uh, with with some people uh, wanting to rebrand and stuff like that. Uh, I just don't know if if. Uh, uh, and I don't know what you know what the intention is, but uh, if the intention is to start to um, um, appeal to everybody, I don't know if that's the right uh, the right way to go about it. Could be, but uh, I, I have some reservations about that. I guess time will tell as it all unravels, um, and I'm sure you've got your own idea about that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. It's, it, it's interesting one. I think there's been a lot of cross, particularly CrossFit gyms over the past couple of years that have, uh, this has been real like top of mind, like stuff that they've wanted to take action on, been con- thinking about taking action or have taken action on this, this kind of rebranding, um, you know, and some of them are retaining the CrossFit affiliation and definitely value it, but they've, they've changed the name. They've taken CrossFit out of the name of their gym because they're mm. concerned of the perception of that in the, in the market and they don't want to be, uh, you know, for whatever reason, if that name is deterring people from what they do um, or, they, or they perceive that that might be the case, they, they've been taking it out. Yeah. Um, whereas others have stuck with it and actually wanted to identify themselves as that even, even more strongly and... Um, you know, especially in the absence of other gyms that may have, that don't have it in the name anymore. You know, I think it can work work well for them then uh, if they if they're keeping the yeah, yeah. name and a lot of gym, gyms are getting rid of it. Uh, it's just interesting to kind of observe. Um, yeah, it would be uh, interesting to see it unfold as it as it goes. Um, but I can totally understand uh, the at uh, the very basics the idea that you don't want to be. At some point, known as a just a quote unquote CrossFit facility, whereas um, as a coach, um, because a lot of times now, like you know, these days, CrossFit box owners, they're not like uh, when it first started, you know, back in uh, you know, 2010, 11, 12, where they kind of just a lot of them just followed the the wads that would just be posted on the website and they'll just kind of run it like that. Nowadays, since then. A lot of them have gone on to uh, educate themselves, upskill themselves, so they know about uh, strength and conditioning. That's right. Uh, at least the ones that uh, you're surviving, the ones that are doing well uh, and surviving. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because there's and that- and so yeah, they don't want to. Then they got this all this skill set. They don't want to just be known as a CrossFit coach. You know, just do CrossFit. Uh, I, I can do other things as well. You know, I can help you in other ways. For sure, for sure. And and as a community of CrossFit coaches. Like I said, like it hasn't been around a long time. It's sort of been a ten-year period where it's been really sort of prominent. Um, and as a as a collective group, the standard and the knowledge base and the learning has uh, come a long way in that time. And and practices, best practices are being established still, and um, in how to best deliver something that's like I said before has a lot of moving parts, lots of different training modalities and skills. Mm. And things. So the coaches have done as a group, you think about, you know, uh, 
how many hours they've started to accumulate. Some of these guys around have been a while um, where they might have, you know, a large, large group of people in a class, how to best effectively teach, you know, all these different skills and, and configure it in a class where it's sort of safe and effective. Um, take some time. And uh, it's definitely moving towards that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of which, so, uh, you know, uh, all these coaches have uh, – learned that there's different moving parts and at the start it seemed like a lot of coaches were sort of closed off to uh, exploring other avenues and other things certainly even like um, ironically powerlifting uh, I still remember on the website um, it, it was stated like um, uh, sports like uh, I paraphrase here like powerlifting yeah. and, and, and sumo uh, sumo wrestling uh, <coughs> excuse me fringe sports and now, uh, so many of the coaches are, you know, um, really taking a lot of lot of um, interest in powerlifting style programming, you know, um, movements, the techniques, and stuff like that, which is which is great because, uh, as with anything, there's growth as as time goes on. We learn from um, new things, we learn from our mistakes. You know, uh, some things we say we're, we're in a different point of in our development, so. Some things we believe are just completely wrong. We realize that later as long as you, you sort of make that change and, and realize that. Uh, you yourself obviously um, are one of those people who who is very open-minded and very involved in expanding your horizons. And that's one of the reasons why you are where you are as a coach and successful. Uh, so, uh, you know, you um, got right into powerlifting at some point where we trained together and you, uh, you did a couple of competitions and um, – even aside from the competitions, your, your lifts dramatically improved. Um, tell uh, tell us a little bit about um, what are some things you learned from from powerlifting training uh, that sort of opened your eyes, um, and then and then some things that you learned that you could apply to and have applied to to CrossFit training. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Um, and I could go on forever about this because I'm really interested in it, um, but the what attracted me to powerlifting uh, to have a bit of a dabble and, and learn from it uh, was a number of things. But one of them, I was I knew that I was kind of good at squatting and deadlifting and wanted to give that see where I could take that um, outside of CrossFit. But also within the CrossFit method, uh, there's a lot of variation. There's constant variation in um, all kinds of things. And you know, applying – I was really curious about how to apply traditional strength and conditioning programming um, and, and the science around that and, and mesh that with a training style that took some of the good things in CrossFit and then produced good results for athletes who wanted to compete in CrossFit. Uh, and part of what I wanted to learn was how – how uh, training was laid out and programmed for the people who are the best in the world at being strong, you know, with barbells, the, you know, the powerlifters. Um, because I knew that with developing, uh, developing strength, like uh, maximal strength, there was an, a real, there's more of a sort of, um, I would say like a, a science to it and, and, uh, when, when we talk about the Olympic lifts, there's still a science to that, but it is an art form and, it, and it's a lot higher skill element to it. So you can get quite a, a ways with that just purely from, from technique. But where I felt I could really learn from in terms of like applying training principles of, of progression and overload and 
recovery and those kinds of things was where that was dialed in a lot was in powerlifting and that's where when I came to you I wanted to learn more about the, the training um, and also just experience it myself and then experiment myself with the interference effects between the con- conditioning elements and the other elements of CrossFit and all the other moving parts I was speaking about before and the strength and seeing where you know where the limits were on what, how much of each you could get away with training at the same time and learning that over time. Um, you know, so I, I was curious about the progression, how to lay it out in a structured way and, you know, God forbid, uh, repeat things for a few weeks because uh, in CrossFit it's known for its variation, <laughs> you know. And, you know, this is what I'm talking about. CrossFit's come a, a long way since even five years ago. You will see in a lot of CrossFit programs now repetition of certain things on certain days for a number of weeks, and then a weekly template might change and that kind of stuff. So that has progressed in that way a lot in a lot of places. Anyway, I was curious about how all that and 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 how much of it can be applied within a CrossFit context. And I think I learned a lot around that, uh, even things about how intensely to push the weights in. How I was curious about how intensely do the powerlifters push their weights in training and where you know how do these sets of squats should how should they look like like should i be like mac going as heavy as i can each set or should it be and should it be a real grind to get the best out of it or should it be like leaving a few reps in reserve or whatever um i these are the side of like you know in textbooks that you read and and courses that you do and uni and all that kind of stuff or whatever it's kind of the black and white information, but what I was seeking in the practical side of things of actually coming and doing it was the, the gray areas that you don't really know unless you get in there and do it and experience it and, and through trial and error. Uh, and I feel like I've, you know, that experience with the powerlifting really kind of filled a lot of those gaps for me. So what, what were some of the key takeaways? Like what is it that you found that you're like, ah, okay, uh, this is how it works, and and, and then applied it to to um, um, crossfit programming of your athletes or yourself. Yeah, one example would be um, staying away from, and this is something that I did do. I didn't really fail reps in training, for example, I was staying away from failure and things like squats and deadlifts. Um, but how far away from failure? And, and, and how many reps away from failure in a, in a working set, for example, that degree of um, that eye for it and that feel for it and how to communicate that and articulate that to my clients and um, uh, athletes, that's one of the biggest lessons for me. You know, I remember you saying to me, I think you said, if you go to something along the lines of if you go a little bit too light, it doesn't matter because you can always progress next week it's safer. You'll still get stronger if you're a little bit too light in, in your in your loading. But if you're too heavy, then we're good chance we're going to blunt progress. Good chance we're going to you know there's risk for injury there. There's you know uh, and so this, this I don't know if this sounds familiar, but like you know these, yeah 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 absolutely yeah you know that, that yeah no this is, this is a uh, common conversation mm-hmm. um, yeah. and even um, just uh, you know how how to progress loads how to start. In a, in a training block and progress and then, you know, when to maybe deload, um, how, how, the, how you might have a different focus, whether it's like more of a hypertrophy focus for a while or a strength focus or a peaking focus, what, what the training looks like during those phases and what are some of the principles in terms of volumes and intensities and frequencies and things 
uh, that's that's a lot of what I learned. Yeah, like the the thing that you mentioned about um, uh, sort of staying away from from failure and from grinding. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's uh, something innate in all of us where we, especially if, as athletes, where we think we we have to push hard, we have to work hard, and that's very true. Uh, there is that's certainly there. That's an element that needs to be present if you want to get anywhere. Uh, but uh, I think a lot of people uh, tend to take that to mean that in order to to be, uh, make something worthwhile, uh, the only way is that. If you're doing a set of five on squats, the fifth one you got to be on on the edge of death. You know, like it, you you just <laughs> everything's got to be a grind. Push it out, leave nothing in the tank, and just go as hard as you can. And uh, training effect comes if you if you pick a way to where you do five, but you could have done like seven reps yes. or, or even eight. Yeah, there's still going to be a training effect, provided there's enough volume. And um, that, that's, I think, one of the main things that people miss um, is, is just going too hard because you'll do it in the first week. You might even do it in the second week, but you're going to tank probably in the third or fourth week of training. You can't progress. There is nowhere to go after you've just gone to your limit. When, you're, when you are standing against the wall, there's, you can't take any more steps forward. So... Um, uh, just realizing that and making people understand that uh, they they can get uh, results, even better results than than pushing hard. If they were to just hold back a little bit, um, is uh, for a lot of people it's uh, like an eye opener because uh, there's this this, this uh, conception that the training always has to be sort of balls to the wall, um, uh, and. Uh, uh, anything less is you're being soft or you're not getting the most out of training, which is absolutely not true. Um, something that you touched on, which I'm actually interested in, is I want you to tell me what, what did you um, what did you find in regards to um, interference? So you talked about interference, and and as we know, there's interference uh, with. Uh, strength tra- when there's strength training and endurance training coupled together uh, for a person uh, within a within the same program, uh, there is going to be some level of interference. Uh, the the um, the endurance training is going to is going to uh, hinder to some degree the the uh, progress in strength development. And obviously, as CrossFit athletes, uh, that endurance aspect is is a huge part of the sport. So. Uh, what did you find uh, is the degree of interference? Um, maybe there wasn't that much at all. I don't know. Uh, and and then how did you how do you get around it, or how did you get around it? How do you program to get around it so that you can maximize the amount of strength that you are building when there's a, the strength program there, and also maximize the amount of endurance training? Is it a programming thing? Is it a um, a block thing where um, through a particular block, there is much more focus on uh, strength and power development. And then in the next block, you do maintenance on that and, and, and focus on the endurance work. Uh, if that's the case, is there a regression on on the power stuff? Take me through your findings on that. That's very important to yeah. me, especially now that I'm dealing more and more with uh, combat athletes. Yeah, this this topic of like concurrent training like for strength and endurance is like something I'm really interested in. I think I'm 
I'm always getting, you know, trying to get better and better at it because of the sport that I'm involving with CrossFit. It's obviously very important. Um, so, like, I'm in, in CrossFit with with all the different modalities, different movements, and, and constant variation of the competitive events. It's it becomes quite chaotic, especially towards competition time, where it's a, it's a necessity to blend all this stuff together and do it intensely uh, and be prepared to do competitive events that are, you know, different at every competition. So what I've learned from my experience is that that part of training is necessary at certain times of year going into competitions. Uh, The further out we are from competition, um, generally we're trying to build strength in that early off-season phase as a priority for most athletes. And because of that, strength takes priority and will look more like a traditional strength programming. Um, of, now, of course, we need to maintain some energy system development throughout the year. I found that if we completely abandon that, um, even if the athlete is already quite fit in terms of aerobic fitness, uh, they, it's still the sport is so competitive that it's you can't really make up. It's hard to make up for that if you have abandoned it for a large period of the year. So you still have to maintain some conditioning. Um, the kind of conditioning that lends itself to like still allowing the strength gains to progress is uh, lower intensity. Uh, it doesn't have to be low intensity, but it can't be like super high intensity, like lactic um, type mm-hmm. conditioning. And, certainly more aerobic and certainly low CNS demand, low eccentric demand. So aerobic type work, continuous work on like bikes, rowers and skis um, and not super high volume uh, and separate from the strength session in the day. So so the main, the main key things there would be uh, low impact um, cyclical type nature and, and aerobic and separated from the strength. Um, as the year progresses and we get closer to competitions, you know, we've got gymnastics things we need to work on. We've got a lot of different movements we need to work on. Um, and it does get to the point where we have to blend them in sports specific, like Metcons and things. Uh, but we need to try and hold off on that while we build that strength and aerobic work and in the background and try not to blend it too much. That's kind of in a nutshell, what I find, what I'm finding. Uh, So, so in the in the earlier parts uh, of the season, um, you um, do a steady state, low intensity um, aerobic stuff to just build the cardiovascular system on a general level, and but just go hard as you can on on strength and power development, and then as as uh, competition arrives more, you sort of start to transition slowly back the other way, uh, where you do maintenance work on on strength and power development uh, or uh, power whatever's been yes. developed and then uh, just continue to uh, start work more and more on higher intensity uh, endurance work and, and whatnot. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And the ability to, for example, in, in CrossFit, the ability to maybe in a com- competition event, you might have to do relatively heavy clean and jerks combined with some rowing and some, and some pull-ups or something like that. So the skill of being able to, perform those movements in a workout scenario going from one to the other mm. to the other and pace that correctly for your ability level and, and all that kind of thing is a skill and a type of fitness almost of it in itself as well. Um, 
Yes. So what I like to try and do is the further we are away from competition, we separate the elements out completely so you're not blending them. Then we start to do them in like maybe some couplets but also in a timed fashion where it's quite structured. It's almost like a superset of, you know, different different things like you would do with supersetting in it just like with dumbbell work, for example. Um, and then we start to get more and more high heart rates and blending as we go on. Um, the kinds of conditioning that, that – How – Sorry, you go. Sorry. Uh, just before I forget, how far out from a, um, from a competition do you actually start to do – you know something that looks very much like a, a wad you know like an basically pretty much just that and 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 kind of like nothing else uh it's the eight weeks out is the most important stuff uh the most um frequent sport specific training that will happen like will of, of those kinds of metcons like that they'll happen a lot more frequently in sort of like eight weeks out um you know, it might be ten, six to ten, but it depends on the athlete and what their needs and, and what the program is. But that's normally a good amount of time. Um, and then the eight to sort of 12, 10 weeks preceding that is when it I will call it like more blended type training. And then say, for example, like the eight to 12 weeks before that, that's when it's like separated out, you know, strength and conditioning separately and, and not pushing the intensity of the conditioning elements as as much and this is all relative to mm. context of what that if, if we're talking individual an individual athlete they may have more of an endurance need or a strength need in their training and then you would bias that accordingly but um depends on the individual as well yeah yeah um you know doing all this stuff um with, with the sport like crossfit because there's there's so many different energy systems and skills to to work on and develop, uh, the need for um, being on top of recovery is much more accentuated compared to uh, a sport where it's just you know one energy system or one kind of modality. Uh, what are some systems and and some uh, tactics and strategies that uh, you use with your uh, with your athletes around recovery? Um, one of the biggest things that I'll try and when I talk about recovery, I, I talk about a lot of the stuff that is in some of the material put out by, um, uh, Dr. Mike Rizatel. He's got his recovery pyramids. I don't know if you've seen some of those ones, but I think it's a really good visual representation of how people should think about recovery. So I spend a bit of time trying to educate my athletes on that, um, in, in something like in, in CrossFit training, cause there's, because we're training lots of different things and it can be chaotic, um, the, the athlete has to have some autonomy in how they're fit, you know, and some self-regulation in how they're managing their recovery, how they're feeling on a given day going into a session. And I try and get them to understand the idea of where they might be on their, like, amount of volume that they can tolerate. So, so volume, it's important to consider training volume and getting a sense. So I have a lot of conversations with these guys throughout the week, throughout the, the training cycles. How are you, how are you feeling? Were you able to hit these numbers and progress them on last week? Cause I'm trying to get a sense of when they come into the gym, if they're able to overload the body and, and train at an appropriate intensity that day, or whether they should actually be recovering a little bit more. So an understanding of where, yeah. where they are on their, um, 
effective training volumes. Uh, but I insist across the board on everyone has to take at least one day, one rest, full rest day a week. And mm-hmm. in most cases, probably two full rest days a week, um, yep. depending where we are in our, in our training cycle. Um, secondary to, you know, the, looking at the volume is, uh, like the more passive, like recovery mode thing, like just looking at sleep and, and rest days and, you know, keeping those things in order. Um, and, and we do deload weeks as well, you know, so, so yeah, like, yeah. Um, you go with the, uh, with the, the deload weeks. uh, And I think that's just what you were about to get into yourself. How does the deload weeks uh, mm. for you guys differ, or what does, it, what does it look like compared to um, you know what it would look like for for a powerlifter, which you've been through yourself, so you know how I structured it when, when you were doing it? Um, is it vastly different? I no, it's not. I, I know that um, uh, common the the common prescription, and this is what I use most of the time for my guys is just like a, a three weeks of. Lo- you know, normal training increasing and a, and a deload on the fourth week. Um, not that necessarily that's the be-all and end-all. It has to be that way. Um, but I do find, you know, if you ask me, though, what's what tends to be pretty effective and I, and you have to pick one, I would I would probably go with that. And, and I actually run with that pretty much the whole year round because part of the reason is um, it allows – me to provide my athletes with some consistency so they know the rhythm of our training cycles and how they work and then they can make those decisions when they know if it's a deload week coming up how hard to be pushing in certain weeks and if it's week one of a training cycle they know let's be more conservative with our loading let's just set ourselves up for some progression next week get everything moving well week two they know they can add load and add, add intensity to previous week Week three, they know they might be feeling the pinch. It's going to be hard, but they've got deload coming mm. next week. And they can organize themselves and everyone kind of flies in, in formation, so to speak, um, because they and, – and my and I, as the coach, it's easier for me to manage when I know what week that athlete's in and how they should be feeling and that kind of thing. Um, so, so, yeah, so I'll do a deload every four weeks most of the year round. We might reconfigure that a little bit if we're trying to line up with the comp or a specific date. Um, but that's how I do it. And, and it's not necessarily because three, a deload every four weeks is the only way to do it. It's just, it's just sort of how I've done it within my system and, and what works for us kind of thing. Um, the, uh, the, the, um, strategies around sleep, I think is something that, um, is coming more and more to the forefront. Um, I think it's something that's going to be. Um, getting bigger and bigger as time goes on. Uh, it's something that um, we've always known is is important, uh, but in recent times there's been this um, uh, real push of this culture of you know work hard, you know sleep is the cousin of death, and these kind of mentalities of of trying to hustle and grind, quote unquote. Yeah, and and I think uh, that's caused um, 
so, you know, it's kind of like good, bad, you know, it, it's good in the sense that, I mean, there's some truth to it. If you really want to get anywhere, uh, if you're trying to build something, you know, um, if you're trying to work on something, you do need to, at some point, especially in the earlier days, sacrifice some sleep, maybe even a lot of sleep. Yeah. Um, but uh, certainly as an athlete, uh, if, you know, when we, when we talk, so that's, you know, when you're talking about like building a business or whatever, but as an athlete, I think uh, it, it is one of the worst decisions you can make uh, in regards to uh, sacrificing sleep when you need to really look at other places to sacrifice so that you can get your sleep and get get good sleep. Uh, I Yeah, I agree. I just, I just think uh, sleep is, is going to be more and more prominent as a thing. I mean, there's such a uh, – I just noticed such a trend towards a lot of people feeling like anxiety, feeling stressed, um, feeling tired through the day all the time. All of these are inter interconnected and interrelated with like uh, uh, with sleep and and the upregulation of the sympathetic nervous system and uh, not knowing how to not knowing about it first of all, and then not knowing how to actually deal with it when you when you kind of do find out about it. Um, uh, have you looked into anything to do with sleep? Is, uh, are you uh, are you utilizing anything uh, with regards to sleep with your athletes at the moment? Um, any any thoughts on uh, the topic of sleep? Yeah, well, I can't like I can't agree more. Like it's it's so important that um, we protect our sleep and get into consistent rhythm with our sleep patterns particularly for athletes um because it's when the body's recharging and recovering and super compensating basically is when we're at at bed you know in in bed resting um when sleep is affected it destroys training progress um i'm sure you've seen that and yeah and you're talking about like in in the business world and 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 things like that like um people can put in these these crazy hours and because um, they're literally just working more hours in their day. Uh, but there's no doubt, there's no question that the brain functions better and there's better health and longevity and, and human performance um, in, in the hours that you are awake if you've had adequate sleep and the quality of it is consistent, um, you know, ideally. Uh, humans are built to be able to tolerate different circumstances and you know obviously when we have have to bring up young babies and that disturbs sleep pattern and we have stressful periods of our lives where work demands us or whatever and so it's not always can be set up perfectly so we can't you know i try to talk to my athletes about trying to set these these things up um, and work towards ideal patterns and but also being okay and not letting it stress you out when life just gets in the way and and you can't have these like optimal situations um but yeah as possible as much as possible we work towards and place a lot of really you know high emphasis on the sleep and and how we're protecting that um and i mean the guys a lot of the guys are using the whoop devices or or similar devices that are actually giving them some feedback on the quality and the length of their sleep and I, i quite like that because you know these guys are athletes they're into they're into getting – they want feedback on how they're going and they like the numbers and things like that. So having that there um, puts in, puts a scoreboard to it and <laughs> gets them focused on it and, and I've, I'm finding that's generally doing pretty good things. 
for pe- for the guys um, and, you know, getting feedback on their recovery and stuff with these devices. Uh, I think it's only going to be um, in- enhancing things in the long run as they get even better and better with the technology. Do you do your guys uh, have you used have you used the the wood device? Uh, I haven't. I don't have one. I don't have a subscription. Um, but a, a lot of my guys have them, and we and we talk about it quite a bit. What's what's your experience? Yeah. Uh, I I haven't used that. Uh, I do uh, use uh, during times when uh, I'm preparing for something something particular like a competition. I'll use uh, HRV. So I've got a HRV app on on yeah. my phone. Yeah. Which I which I obviously use to um, measure heart rate variability. Um, with uh, regards to um, tools, I think that uh, all of this stuff, so like, you know, morning heart rate, HRV, even like, you know, like a grip strength test or, or a jump test uh, to see how much, yeah. the, um, yeah. how much under-recovered you are yeah. is all well and good. Uh, I honestly think in my experience, um, a subjective test is – is uh, yes. Um, is is very very accurate. Yes. Uh, as long as it asks the right questions. Yeah. And so you know, for for our guys, we have uh, we have a subjective test that's got like five questions, things like you know, um, how sore uh, do you feel? Uh, how was your sleep? Um, yeah. How irritated or, or irritable do you feel? Things like that. And then you rate that out of five, and then uh, uh, you add a, add add up. The, the numbers it gives you a, a score and that score will uh, tell you um, how how recovered or under recovered you are for the day and um, there's there's actually tremendous I find uh, tremendous um, uh, consistency yes. with that yes uh, so if we know if oh, I know if a particular person is con- uh, constantly at a 2021 20, score yeah they're doing good yeah if it d- drops below an 18 for this person uh, it needs to come back up to a 2021 20, yes um, yes or above so uh, yeah I think subjective measures um, are extremely uh, effective I think they're more effective than than um, uh, these other ways of doing things it's just that um, first of all the the other ways of doing it the objective ways are absolutely useful. Uh, it's not like a gimmick or anything like that, but I just think because they're a thing, they're tangible, and uh, you can buy it, you can subscribe to it, yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. People, uh, people tend to drift that way That's right. uh, without um, without sort of understanding. Well, what does my body feel like? You know, yeah, yeah, how yeah. do I feel like when I wake up in the morning? Hundred percent. And that in of itself can tell you a huge, huge deal. Um, yeah. So the the subjective measure is the first thing I look at. But uh, yeah, where possible. Uh, I, I let them know to download um, the HRV app. Uh, use that, and although that uh, tends to be a little bit more accurate for endurance style stuff rather than uh, strength stuff, but it still has its uses. Uh, so, so things like that uh, yeah. is something that that I use. But uh, no. yeah, definitely need to have some some sort of a measure. Yeah, I mean, we that's right. You just you know reminded me as well. Like we have a um, the app that we I deliver my programs on. At the start of each session, we'll have that exact same subjective kind of questions that you're talking yep. about. So the sleep quality, the uh, the muscle soreness, the mood, uh, the stress levels. Uh, there's there's f- the five questions, and the guys uh, put a score of one to five in there. Um, and it's it's as much for them to get that feedback in the moment, and then 
understand, get an understanding of how their recovery is and how hard to push in that session uh, as much as it is for me at the, at the back end to be able to look at those numbers and, and check how the group's going. It, not only how the, how the group is travelling as, as a whole um, for their recovery but also how each individual athlete uh, is tracking for their recovery. And like you were saying, exactly how you were saying that it's a subjective measure. So each individual will report, will have a different pa- um, pattern in how they report things. So there's, there's the person who's optimistic, they might come in and they've, for whatever reason, they always say they rate themselves pretty high. You know, their score comes out. If it's a score out of 20, I think yours is out of 20. You know, they're always coming in at 18, 18, 19, 20. And then all of a sudden, if they're at a 16 or a 15, that might be caused to be like, okay, maybe you're under-recovered. Whereas you've got the other person, they might be a bit more pessimistic or for whatever reason, they're always running at a, you know, they may, let's say physiologically, they're at a similar recovery. For argument's sake, they are actually recovered in a similar way to that other athlete. But just subjectively, they record themselves for whatever reason as like, on average, like a 15 or 14, 15 or 14, and then one day they're down to 12. That's the day, you know, the, the, yeah. these are the patterns that um, over time you you want to you want to look at um, and not just necessarily assume that someone's always under-recovered just because they've subjectively rated themselves that. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, but, you know, I'm giving a couple of extreme examples there. I think most of the time it's um, – pretty consistent across athletes like it's not too much variation and and the number that you get is probably a pretty good indication of their readiness to train uh, or perform yeah 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 like i agree with you on that and it's in it's it's interesting to see as well like uh as they approach comp and you know you go into a picking block and so volume drops yeah so it it starts to facilitate recovery. Yeah, the, you you graph the score and the, and the graph is just going up and up and up and up and and they like the every day they actually when you're asking them they're like I feel much better I feel good I feel good and it's just this massive correlation between the sure. score and and how they uh, how they do and then so you know if you get them to like a, for example a 22 score or above by the time uh, comp week comes around. They're gonna do good yeah. uh, at competition, yeah, yeah. and and so you aim for that. You know, if if they're at a particular number in the lead up to that taper week, uh, and you project that to be uh, way below what you wanted, you you start pulling volume back earlier. You know, and and start to facilitate that recovery quicker. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so it's a very good way to um, actually plan out your your peak and your taper, and and uh, and therefore competition performance. So I like stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Crack, man. It's like, yeah, oh, for sure. I think it's good. Really, it's really interesting to see when you can correlate it, especially. Some, something that I'd like to say, like sort of bring up is <laughs> um, sometimes I'm wary of if we're talking a lot about recovery with the athletes, which is important, um, the type of training we need to do sometimes is pretty challenging for like uh, i'm not saying the powerlifting training isn't challenging uh, that's not what i'm saying at all no no but, uh, but, but, yeah, but yeah. when you've when you've got a you know multiple times a week sometimes yeah. fire up for a challenging metcon that you know is going to be you know whatever it is it's going to it's going to be pretty hard and you've got to conjure up some motivation to do it and, pu- and push through it um but it's a necessary part at certain times of the training cycle and uh, you know, there can sometimes be mind games coming in if you if you might have having a bit of a challenging week with whatever's going on outside of the gym, or you're just lacking some motivation or what. Sometimes that can be, you know, confused with under recovery, or if the athlete 
gets in a mindset when they can only mm. hit, only hit a workout when they're feeling fresh, then that can sometimes yeah. be a bad thing because it can eat into the the work ethic and that's necessary sometimes for hard training. Um, so, hundred percent. And I have battled with this myself. You know, when I've competed and and trained hard, and I see athletes struggling with it sometimes. They're actually confused whether they're just being, you know call it soft or something like that like whether or on the day or, or they're not sure and they sometimes they rely on the if they've got the coach there it's good to be able to help them with that decision on the day um, but if they're on their own it can be, yeah. can be quite the quite the challenge um and so yeah, if, yeah. if you want to yeah. feel you know someone I heard someone once say like if you if you want to feel fresh every day don't be an athlete as well like like there is, there is, there is the grind <laughs> yeah, and the difficulty of, of training hard. Yeah. Like we are, it's okay to train yeah. hard. It's okay yeah. to feel a bit fatigued. Um, but if it's been happening for multiple days, multiple weeks with no break, then you know that's that's not what we're going for. And that's why we have rest days, deloads, and structured training, obviously. But yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, man. You you can't. Uh, you you actually want that uh, progressive overload or. Um, progressive um feeling of um not being fresh you know like as the weeks kind of go on that is the the, the whole premise behind training you you, you might, uh, you might, creating this uh, you have to challenge the system right yeah not, not just physically yeah, yeah. but mentally, mentally a little bit as well um but that going back to what absolutely. i was sort of saying before if we're in week three in my, my training, how I organize our training for our guys, like if we're in week three and the athletes are saying those kind of things, I'm a bit more okay with pushing them a bit through that week, potentially, you know, as long as mm-hmm. I think it's appropriate. But if, if they're saying that to me in week one or week two of a four-week cycle, I'm more inclined to investigate and, and check in on their recovery a bit more um, closely. For sure, man. Um, so, look, obviously, twenty twenty has been a it's been an interesting one uh, for everybody. Um, take us through uh, you as a as a coach. Um, you know, doing doing what you do, and and obviously now you've you've um, gone onto an online sort of um, model, almost purely. Well, yeah, purely. Before that, you were obviously very successfully running your own your own place. Um, what has uh, what has the difference been like for you having your own physical, you know, gym to train people at? Uh, and then, um, what has COVID taught you mm-hmm. uh, in regards to what you do? Yeah. So, um, yeah, my background and kind of people didn't know. I, was one of the owners of CrossFit Active for a six-year period from about 2010 to 2016. Um, and we had a f- three locations in Sydney and, and one on the Central Coast. And then I, I left that to start Star Strength and Performance, which is what I do now, and progressively moved more and more to completely online over the past four years. Uh, the change for me... Um, uh, so basically... I'm working from home and I go out. We, we run training camps a few times a year. So that's where they're, a bit, they're pretty important events on our calendar where all the online athletes can come and get together and train. And normally we, we, we um, schedule them a few weeks out from some of the major sanctional events, CrossFit events. 
that are happening. Um, and then aside from those major camps that I run sort of about four times a year, I, uh, I also like to go out and train at some of the gyms that I program for their classes around Sydney, uh, places like CrossFit Volume, Botany Fitness, uh, Mona Gym up on the Northern Beaches, um, and check in with the crew there and, and, and invite some of the online clients to come, potentially come train there, do some sessions with me. So I do a little bit, a bit of that as well, moving around. And for me, I find that quite stimulating because I go out and see people, see them in person, see how the training is looking and feeling, have some fun training myself with some other people and getting out in the community. And I find that quite enjoyable. I've got a, I've got a home gym set up that I use a lot, quite a lot. And, and I've also got a fitness first membership that I go and do and, and, and train there. So I move around. I'm a bit of a gypsy with my training these days. Uh, I do enjoy it sometimes. Yeah. Um, I do miss having my own proper like gym, large gym set up with my own community there and, and having that uh, base, so to speak. Um, but I also have the kind of person that kind of likes a fair bit of freedom and not being tied down. So, you know, having this uh, online business allows me to do things that, that I like doing, like um, going on like road trips. So I've got a, I've got like a van with a setup that I go and I, I do hikes and, and visit people out in the rural areas where I've got some clients yeah. out there, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I quite like that lifestyle and that's something I've sort of worked towards yeah. over the past few years. Um, so that's where it's at for me. That's what my kind of life is like now what it kind of compared to what it used to be. Yeah. Do you, um, wh- how did you find it, uh, COVID affected things for you? Like, do you think um, uh, it would have affected you more if you, if you still had your own actual physical space or, you know, what did you learn off the back of it f- to apply and, and, and you may have already applied to your, to your current online business? Um, it was the timing was fortunate in one way for me because uh, like when COVID hit, I had just kind of moved to not doing any face to face coaching. I was I did have some scheduled face to face sessions that I was doing at uh, Creature Fitness in Marrickville. Um, anyway, I just moved them out, so that timing of that was good, uh, but. I also had to pivot a little bit, like I think like a lot of most businesses had to in some way to make sure that I was servicing people in a way that was, they were able to get their training done still in COVID. So I, I had to, I started offering more home gym options for people that train with no equipment or limited equipment at home, that kind of thing. Um, and, and tried to support the community, you know, my, my community of clients and athletes that way. Um, and for the gyms that I program for, uh, they also had to do that for their clients. So, so I had to do the gym-based programming, um, had to change to um, at-home options as well. Uh, and then the amount of in- the engagement and so- social interaction factor was something that I was very conscious of and working hard to kind of try and um, meet the needs of the, of the guys through different ways of, you know, offering more, um, video content to the guys, more interaction, more live sessions where I was observing them doing their training sessions, and, which I don't normally do as much of, that kind of stuff. So trying to pivot and, and, and retain retain everyone, keep everyone on board, keep them engaged in training. Um, now that things have cooled off a bit, uh, the challenge at the moment has been that there's been very, very few, if any, CrossFit comps happening and 
mm. helping keep the guys engaged and excited about things on the horizon has been hard because normally my the whole point one of the major points of star strength is what, what i do uh is prepare people for crossfit competitions so uh yeah you know yeah. not having any comps has been has been difficult um what's that been like for you like with the uh you know, because I know a lot of your guys like to go and do powerlifting comps, for example, and other things. Have you found that's been um, affected quite a bit with everything that's going on? Um, so, with the powerlifting comps, now powerlifting comps are back on. Um, but initially, when obviously things went back, uh, went opened up again. Uh, you know, we we couldn't. Uh, so we are fortunate in the sense that we have. Um, um, very close knit community, an awesome culture, and uh, so also with the with the nature of the sport of powerlifting, there doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be a competition. So we, you know, mm. set up times to said, look, in case there's no comps, just train, keep training, because for example, national championships was supposed to be on, which got cancelled. Um, uh, it would have been on in in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, so we said, you know, keep training as if it's still going to be on. And even if it's not, uh, we're going to do an in-gym, uh, just a muck around max test, you know what I mean? Just, yeah, be, yeah. just be a massive party. So um, setting goals like that uh, for them. And then uh, by that time, uh, you know, in the, in the last couple of months, sports sort of opened again and uh, powerlifting comps are back on. Nationals is still cancelled, but but like novice comps are on, local comps are on, yeah, and things like that. So a lot of those people, you know, just signed up for a normal local comp. Some of them signed up for a novice comp, and others on they didn't sign up for any comp. They just they're still going to do like an in gym max out uh, max out day, you know. So they're still training as if they're going to nationals. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, keeping 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 people interested in that. In, in and the thing is, like with us, uh, we just in general have uh, this messaging constantly of, you know, it's about a strong mind uh, and developing a strong mind. So if she just doesn't go to plan, you figure out another plan, you know. So yeah. if uh, there's no comps, that's fine. You, you still got to train. You still got to do shit. You still got to make that progress, make that improvement. So you train for yourself and um, test yourself out uh, at the gym and uh, see see how we get it so the, you don't lose sight of the mission basically that's right you start it out, you're training you're training to get better so you just keep going and if there's a comp there's a comp if there's not there's, there's not doesn't matter just keep that doesn't affect you needing to improve yourself so um in that regards it was it was um it was relatively fine for us and we're fortunate in the sense that crossfit comp, um powerlifting comps are back on uh, and um uh, yeah, everybody's just just uh, really excited about that. Uh, it does awesome. help a lot, man. When the, as you know for yourself, especially for you guys, like CrossFit athletes, they're they're driven people, so they need something to train for. You know, the, um, a lot of times it will probably get boring for a lot of them, as it does for me, for example, just j- training just to train. So, um, for for in that regards, we've been fortunate that. Uh, comps at least local ones are allowed. Um, no, no um, spectators allowed, but. Uh, that's that's fine whatever no big deal um the, the competitors can go on and actually compete and, and put together a, a good day for themselves yeah yeah so yeah, yeah it's been challenging in that regards yeah i mean for a lot of people that they just it's, it's they, they're speaking for myself but also for a lot of people i know like who just tra- like to train 
um, they're going to train anyway. They're motivated. They value they value improvement and, and getting better. But that, but having some kind of event on the horizon is always that extra little bit of purpose. And, mm. and and sometimes on those hard days can get you you know help with the motivation. Um, and yeah, you know, I've tra- I've trained at Adonis, you know, and was a member there. Uh, and it's it, it's when you've got a good culture like you guys have there, um, it really helps with that stuff as well. Um, and you know, even if there isn't a comp on, then it's it's. And I trained there during you know leading into COVID and around that time this year in particular. Um, and it went a long way for maintaining you know my desire to just keep improving anyway. And um, I, th- I think in terms of when I talk about goal setting with with my athletes and clients and stuff, uh, you know, sometimes they feel uh, sometimes also there's a bit of guilt around like not guilt, but it's a funny, but then I don't want to say that they want to compete. Like this, especially like more of the beginners and intermediates. And then they don't want to talk about it too much. Cause they think that sounds like it's not something they should be talking about for whatever reason. Um, and something like, yeah, a way that I often explain to them is like, it's good for you to probably spend maybe this is rough, you know, real rough. It's kind of a rule of thumb, but like maybe 80, 80% of your headspace and, and your goal setting, your mindset should be around like focusing on the improvement, the database improvements and the self-improvement. And then, you know, but it's fine and it's good for us, uh, an, an amount of your goal setting and attention to be directed towards an event or, or a point in time where you're going to have that outcome, uh, maybe a competition or something like that. And I think uh, that's, that's just, just my philosophy on it, but I, I find that that yeah. often a healthy kind of ratio. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but yeah, 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 yeah for sure, man, for sure. Uh, I think that the, you know the uh, competition should always be in the mind of somebody. Everybody, I think everybody should compete uh, at some point to to any level, whether it's a novice comp that's totally friendly or, or full mm. on. Uh, I think it teaches you a lot about yourself. I think that's the purpose of training. Um, but yeah, like just because there is no comps on the horizon, uh, the the true root root reason of why you started training or what you should should have trained is, is to improve yourself uh in in uh, multiple different ways men- like mentally physically uh you know your character and so on so you can still do that it doesn't have to be a competition for you to for you to be able to achieve that so um yeah just having that in the back of your mind always is is enough to uh, sort of keep you going when you got times like that. For sure. And, and get you back on as well when, when the motivation is low, you know. For sure. Um, uh, in uh, slowly closing it out here because I don't want to take up much of your time, um, any good books that you would recommend that you've come across uh, that has really maybe opened your eyes or has been just a really cool book to um, uh, that that you've you've – you would just recommend other people should read. Yeah. Okay. What have I read this year? Well, at the end of last year, I read Essentialism, and that really helped me to frame some goals for this year. It's actually my favourite book out of like a dozen books that I read last year. So Essentialism, I've got it here. It's by Greg McCowan. Uh, I highly recommend that one. Um, and this year, what's it about? Oh, it's just about like um, dis, you know, dis, discarding things that are a distraction from moving you forward in the more important areas of your life, basically. And you know, we live in a world where it's, mm. there's always 
we're bombarded with a lot of stuff and and we're, we have a lot of choice um and it's hard to you know getting clear on what you want and and then getting good at identifying the things that are getting in the way of that and that helped me frame a lot of like yeah. goals and uh things in like my business and personal life and training at the start of this year so that was great uh you can't i really recommend that one essentialism uh and one i really liked this year which i'd never you know, i've been told about before but i never actually read was the prophet um do you know that one it's by it's an old book. It's no. been, it was written in, uh, when was it written? Like early uh, 1935. Uh, it's by Khalil Gibran. He's a, um, from Lebanon originally. Anyway, it's just like an old, it's kind of in poetry and <laughs> it's got some, it just talks about like, it's a philosophical book. It's called The Prophet. I really, really enjoyed it. I've read it twice. It's quite a short read. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah. The prophet. Note that down. Yeah, each chapter. It's All right. Like it's the star. It. Oh, actually, I won't get into it now because it'll just probably bore you. But I reckon. Yeah, no, no. I reckon, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at it. Yeah. Uh, oh wait, this one's by. Uh, I remember this. Uh, um, it's by uh, Khalil Gibran or something. Yeah, right? is that how you say it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Is that? I've just put yeah. his name. Yeah. Yeah, this is a famous book. Um, I've forgotten what it's about, but it's a famous book. Uh, always uh, comes across uh, in conversation every so often. Yeah, yeah, it sold millions of copies. I think it was originally written in a different language, and um, yeah, get into it. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm I'm interested in checking that first one out, though. Essentialism, because it's true, man. We 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 do. You know, as time as uh, technology progresses, as the world progresses, we just get. Uh, more and more options and to do things, you know, and, and that brings with it like just more and more distractions. And um, it, it uh, forces us to divide up our focus and concentration. And uh, um, so it distracts us from, from our purpose. And a lot of times, a lot of anxiety and uh, problems that we struggle with with ourselves is because we don't have a clear purpose you know a clear reason to wake up in the morning and, it's, and all these distractions do keep us from that you know um, yeah and to be yeah. able to find strategies around being able to control that uh is it can be very powerful in um help prevent a lot of those anxieties and and um thoughts and and to actually get somewhere w with our lives figure out yeah. our purpose and uh get there yeah for sure and and Everything's trade-offs, uh, you know, like you can't have everything. <laughs> You've got to pick some things and, and if you have those things, sometimes that means you can't have other things. Um, but that's hard because when you look at Instagram and you're scrolling through and you're seeing all, it's presenting you with all these things that you could have and it's not far out of reach that you could go and get, um, but you can't, it's really hard to have all, all. You can't really have all of them. So getting clear on what you want. Is, is part exactly, of man. Uh, yeah, topics like that is, is uh, very important, uh, but I'm, I'm definitely going to take that one out, essentialism. Uh, all right, Mr. Star, um, if people need to uh, need to find you, where can they uh, get in touch with you and uh, uh, get some of uh, some of that knowledge that's inside your brains? <laughs> just, just look up um, Star Strength and Performance, two R's, S-T-A-R-R-R. -R and you'll be able to find me there. 
that's excellent performance uh check him out give him a follow on on um on ig and um uh he's been around for a very long time especially if you're a crossfit athlete uh, if you're somebody who just wants to get in shape in general um and you want somebody who's who's been there done that and uh has a good track record of um getting athletes to the top uh, mr stars your man luke thanks a lot for your time mate really appreciate it thanks amir appreciate it man thanks guys so there you have it guys i hope you enjoyed that one make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and rate and share the podcast so we can get it out there as quickly as possible to as many people as possible any feedback is always appreciated send it through to amir at adonisathletics.com.au or you can add me on Instagram, the underscore sport performance coach. And looking forward to catching you guys on the next episode.